I've shared with y'all already this Advent season about how much I love nativity scenes. And I think that that was, you know, for a long time I thought that was just an adult thing for me. It was just something that, you know, popped up in the last few years. But I realized it actually kind of stretches throughout, um, you know, my whole life. I remember when I was a kid, I've got a lot of different uh, nativity scenes uh, that we put out. And and when I was a kid, uh, I started collecting them. And I there's something about just seeing that and, and, the, and what those look like. I think the first one I ever was fascinated with uh, was this ceramic nativity scene. When I was a kid, I was probably five, six years old, and um, my mom and dad, I guess, couldn't find a babysitter, and I got drugged to some holiday party at somebody's house. You know, the kind of thing when you're five or six you really don't want to go to. And I remember being fascinated with this ceramic manger scene, and it, with all the characters maybe about a foot tall. And I just, I think all night long, I just kind of checked it out. Uh, and later on, I was, I think, high school maybe, uh, the woman who had this manger scene was downsizing, moving into a little apartment, and none of her kids wanted the manger scene, and she gave it to me one Christmas. And that was just neat. I still have it. I, I love it. Um, I also remember going into this gift shop in Jerusalem and, and looking at nativity scenes. And they're hand-carved out of olive wood. My parents had gotten me one several years before that, and this is where they picked it up at, and and it, my, my, mine was a little one. I mean, it was four or five people. It had the little stable. I mean, it, it wasn't that big. They had some really big ones there, y'all. But I'll tell you what was wild is, have you ever seen a $10,000 nativity scene? I saw one there that day. That was a big nativity scene. It was big. I can't imagine having a $10,000 nativity scene, but apparently somebody buys them enough for them to make them. Meredith and I also have this nativity scene that got passed down from my parents. They they have a larger outdoor nativity at their house, and it's, it's made out of plastic and, or, or fiberglass maybe, and all the characters are probably about three, four feet tall. Uh, and it's neat. I like it. We didn't put it out this year, but we've got it. and probably might come out every other year, but I'll tell you what was funny was when we were moving from Monroe to Alexandria, you know, the best way to transport a nativity scene with three or four foot tall fiberglass characters is just to buckle them in. And I remember, I, I, I can't remember, Meredith, was it me or you that pulled into the McDonald's in Columbia? It calls, it was me. I tell you what, the drive through girl saw the Virgin Mary's riding shotgun and she got a little freaked out. <laughs> it's, I love nativity scenes. And I think one of the reasons I like them so much is it's that classic Christmas story, right? All the characters, all the people, they're, they're all gathered together in that. And, and today uh, we get to that classic Christmas story, you know, that passage that uh, in a lot of ways I feel like folks are waiting for all Christmas season. So if you open your Bibles uh, with me, turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read together verses 1 through 20. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This is the first registration and was taken when Quinarius was governor of Syria, and all went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy 
for all of the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth peace among those whom He favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child laying in a manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, every year, this passage becomes uh, richer to me. I'm going to give you all a little bit of how the sausage is made for people who preach regularly. You know, preachers either love Christmas or hate Christmas because it's the same passages every year. But every time, you know, I read this story, I see different things, different characters jump out. All Christmas season, we've been talking about the characters of Christmas. And, and every, every year, different ones jump out to me. And we've also been talking about what does it mean for us to encounter the reality of the living God in our world this holiday season. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about how one batch of these characters encountered the news and met Jesus. It's probably the ones we all think about and look for in our nativity scenes. It's the shepherds. The shepherds, a low class of people. You know, in, in that modern world, the thing you did not want to do was work with your hands. You did not want to get dirty. For Jewish people, the sh to be a shepherd was almost impossible for them to do their job, but also maintain the ritual purity that the Pharisees, they just thought everybody should be able to keep. You know, you're around dead things. You're around all sorts of other things you don't want to get your hands in. You know, being a shepherd was not a classy job. And these shepherds were in a field between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. About that, and those two towns are only four or five miles away from each other, and they're kind of smack in the middle. And they had this moment. But what's interesting about this, and I'm not going to do a full rabbit chase for you this morning, uh, is that these shepherds happened to be in the same area where the sheep for the temple were raised. Those sheep that were then brought into Jerusalem were sacrificed uh, for the atonement of people's sins, you know, happened to be raised in this exact same area. So we don't know if these were the sheep the shepherds were responsible for, but there's just something about another link in the chain in the story of Jesus, of how all this puts together. But why shepherds? That was the question I kind of asked myself after years of reading this text. Why shepherds? Like, why does it need a random group of shepherds to be the one to see this thing, to go and respond? And they go and do all these things we're going to talk about in just a moment. Why shepherds? The prophet Micah, an Old Testament prophet, living during the time of King Hezekiah, in the same time as the ministry of the prophet Isaiah, he wrote this in chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrath, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel whose origin is from old, from the ancient of days. 
And therefore he shall give them, give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the, the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. You know, part of the story of redemption, part of the language of Jesus, part of the language of God taking care of His people is this idea of shepherding. And remember, this isn't an ideal job. You wouldn't proudly proclaim, well, I, I happen to be a shepherd. How is the way, you know, how the gospel always turns the world upside down and makes us confront our own honest truths? You know, why shepherds? Because Jesus is the shepherd. So how appropriate is it for the first strangers to this story to be those ones that are living in actuality every day, that metaphor where God takes care of His people. And the shepherds in this story, they're standing in for the world. Friends, they're standing in for us that day. I love how it's, it's to read this annunciation that was made to the shepherds. And I, this is one of the things that just jumped out to me this year that's never jumped out before is this isn't good news just for the shepherds. This is good news for the whole world. And the shepherds are simply standing in for every human who will ever live. That, that God is here. God is with His people. That God is coming to bring justice and love and salvation and all of those things. You know, this an announcement that, that they hear is for us. It's for all of us. The angel says, I'm bringing you good news and great joy for all of the people. What I'm giving you is a sign that this is true. So you can then go and tell it to people. When you're saying go tell it on the mountain earlier today, did y'all catch how much that song is just about the shepherds? That was their job, to go and to tell. And I love the word that they had that day found in, in verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the thing. The truth, announces the, pre the truth of God announces the presence of God in our midst. And what's interesting, and, I, and, and we've talked about this before over the last year and a half together, we've talked about how sometimes the writers of Scripture, they like to, to, to book in things, and so they'll talk about one thing in one group of people, then they'll talk about something else, and then they'll talk about that same group of people from the first start again. For some odd reason, this story isn't necessarily as much about Mary and Joseph and Jesus. What Luke is trying to tell us is, you know, this story is about the shepherds. This story is about us. This story is about us talking about the power of Jesus being born and Jesus being here in our midst. How the shepherds experience the full glory of God, the truth of who He is and what He is doing, how a veil has been lifted between heaven and earth in that moment, and they get to see and know the full truth of Jesus and what that will be and what it will be like this very day. What we also know is with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, with the sending of the Holy Spirit, you know, that revelation is also made to us. The shepherds are standing in our place in this story, but it's also up to us to step into this story, into what the shepherds do. 
Now, what do we do when we encounter the truth of God in this way? There's three things the shepherd did, and I think there's three things that we should do as well. We respond, we repeat, and we recognize. Three things. We respond, we repeat, and we recognize. We respond. You know, the shepherds, they, they hear and see this angel. They experience fear, and then the angel tells them to calm down, just like Gabriel had to do to Zechariah and Mary earlier in Luke. But this time, it's not just Gabriel coming. It's this whole host of biblical word for army that is there before them. And Gabriel brings them with him. I imagine that there is also that one shepherd that always gets everybody else in trouble. You know that guy? The one that's like, what if we go and do this? I can hear him right now. He's saying, guys, we need to leave these sheep and go check this out. You know, we can risk it. This whole thing seems too overwhelming to not go and do something. So they go and find this child. When we encounter the truth of God, our minds need to take on the attitude of this shepherd, that guy, the rogue and the misfit, and begin to say, okay, what do we need to do about this? What do I need to do about this? How do I respond? Let me find out what action of faithfulness I can honor the truth of God with and act. You know, if we think about this in our own lives, it might be a phone call. It might be a lunch with somebody. It might mean some other sort of deeper commitment. But when the truth and word of God comes to us, we have to respond in some way. It's an action of faith and faithfulness. I, I, I got to see a good friend of mine this past week I've not seen since we moved back and we were talking about some things and talking about some people that we were both mutual friends with. And I, the kind of the last part of the conversation was, I said, I need to call so-and-so, don't I? He said, yeah. He's like, they would probably really, really appreciate that. You know, inside of that holy moment, that holy conversation, I realized I have to respond to what this looks like. You know, we respond to when God reveals His truth to us. It's us saying, God, I hear you. And the best way for me to let you know that I've heard you is for me to go and do something. We also repeat. Because that's, that's the thing. The things of God do not just stay with us. You know, yeah, sometimes some things are very deeply private. Sometimes uh, uh, they're so new and so fresh that we have to spend time reflecting and praying. on. Sometimes we have to spend years reflecting and praying on something. But the time will come when we realize I have to share this with somebody else. One of the ways that we encourage faithfulness, that we create faithfulness. Remember, faithfulness uh, is a repeating process. It's self-generative. Then we respond with faithfulness. God then gives us new things to be faithful about. If we hear something from the Lord and never do something about it, we're going to struggle with faithfulness. You know, Jesus said multiple times in the gospel, too much has been given much is expected. We have to respond. We have to repeat. We have to, to tell those stories of our own experiences with the Lord for the benefit of others. The first shepherds, the shepherds were the first evangelists of Jesus. They, they told Mary and Joseph, hey, listen, this happened to us. We had to come check this out. Then they began going and telling other people what happened. They told it also to each other because sometimes faithfulness acts out inside of community and we can build each other up even as things are happening. 
Hey, did you hear him say, I heard him say that. What do you think about this? Well, I think about that. I've never thought about that. Yeah, that makes what I'm thinking make more sense. And, and our group faithfulness together layers and layers and layers and layers and makes things stronger than it can be when we're just on our own. When we encounter the presence of God, we cannot stay quiet. We have to respond. The last thing those shepherds did was they recognized. They gave praise to God. They practiced worship inside of thankfulness. Y'all know I talk about thankfulness way too much. I talk about thankfulness way too much because I've seen that if you're looking for any sort of a spiritual practice to grow in your relationship and to get serious with the Lord, practicing thankfulness is a great thing to be doing. I'm pretty serious about you know writing down the things I'm praying for and experiencing, and this is what I do. I've got uh, it used to be a piece of paper in my Bible, and now it's a, a, a kind of an, I do it every single day in a journal. You know, I write down the things I'm praying for in black ink. When a prayer is answered, I write down a note about that in blue ink. And I write down the things I'm thankful for in blue ink. So I can literally look at my journal and I can literally see this process of thankfulness, this, this process of generative faithfulness, of asking for things, of saying, hey, this is happening. I'm noting that down. I, friends, that's an easy thing to do, and I cannot tell you how powerful a thing to do that is. When we can say, what I have hoped for and what I have prayed for has come true. Let me read that Micah passage back to you now. Micah 2 through 4. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrath, who were one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. And how has Jesus stood amongst you? And how has Jesus fed you? And in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. How has Jesus allowed us to live secure? Or it says in the Psalms, how has Jesus placed our feet on a firm place? And he shall be the one of peace. How has Jesus caused and created peace in our life? Friends, as you can see, there are multiple ways that we can respond, that we can repeat, and that we could recognize. Not just this Christmas but as a way of moving throughout the earth. As those shepherds stood in our place, let us stand and stand in the place they gave us that what we have been hoped for and prayed for has come true. That we are thankful that God keeps His promises, that His promises are acting out now in our world today, in Glenmora in 2023. Friends, Jesus is doing the exact same thing right now, acting in our world. And as we come together this Christmas Eve morning, let us simply realize where we can recognize, where we can repeat, and how we can respond this holiday. Let us pray together. Holy Father, you've come into our world. You've come into our world to be with us, Lord. You've come into our world to act and to do things, Lord. You've come into our world uh, to bring us peace. Lord, we know we need peace in this world today. Lord, peace is a complicated thing. Lord, we see a Christ.